0: Dear Prudence. 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 Dear Prudy, do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Hi. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you.
1: Hello, and welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Christina Tucker, a contributing writer for Autostraddle and a rotating fourth chair on NPR's pop culture Happy Hour. And now, here's our first letter. All right, let's move on to the next uh, letter.
0: Next one is all me.
1: Subject. It's 10 feet tall, Prudy. Dear Prudence. My spouse and I bought a house today. The previous owners left many personal touches that we love and plan to keep. There is, though, an issue of a mural. In the dining room, painted on the wall itself, is a floor-to-ceiling mural of a bulge-eyed, drooling, five-armed cartoon person. It is not to our taste, and we had planned to paint over it. At closing, the owner gave us a sweet letter explaining that the mural was the largest ever work by their friend, a well-known local artist who was killed in a tragic accident a few years ago. The tone made us feel like they assume we'll keep the mural. We know we have the right to paint over it, but we don't feel good about it. Is there a way to honor or preserve the artist's work without having it preside over our every meal? Or should we just accept that it's part of the family now? I love this. I'm imagining somebody who like, bought Goya's house after he died and was like, oh, the black paintings, the one of um, Kronos and his children. Yes, we did see that in the dining room. It's...
0: Yeah, I am imagining this to be just like the most horrifying mural. I mean, they've described it quite upsettingly, I will say.
1: I I will also say that um, Grace and I, when we first moved in together, she has like much more, I think, um, avant-garde taste in art than I do. And so she brought... She brought a painting to our life together that I would describe as a sort of like abstract portrait of Gollum jerking off.
0: Oh, that Mm -hmm. took a turn I
1: wasn't quite expecting. It's behind me right now. Um,
0: Oh, lovely. And
1: it's been really fun to be like, oh, I hate this. And uh, I hate it so much. And it's really fun. It makes me feel like we're a couple from the 1950s where it's like, oh, my wife, she loves that Andy Warhol, and I just like paintings of ships. Like, I really like getting to have a bit around it. Um, and like, you know, yeah, I if truly Yeah, you're Billy
0: do, Zane and Titanic. Right
1: yeah, now. I truly,
0: truly do hate this it. This Picasso? But yeah,
1: dude, this guy, it'll never amount to anything. <laughs> um, but it's also, like, hilarious, and like, she also thinks it's kind of funny, and it's not hung up on the wall yet. And I have, you know, I still reserve the right to have it meet with an untimely accident someday.
0: Sure. But the difference is one of you likes it, at least. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and like she brought it into the relationship and it's not actually on the wall.
0: Right, this is not painted onto the wall itself.
1: But yes, of course, oh my gosh, the fact that it was a friend of theirs who who died tragically several years ago, you know, that, that makes it totally fraught. and And so it's not a question of like, what can we do? Because you know what you can do, but the question is, can we find out a way if there's a way to preserve it such that somebody else can take it? And if not, how do we like kindly let them know? Or do we kindly let them know? Or do we just not say anything, paint over it, and hope we never hear from them again? All of which I think are worthwhile questions. Absolutely. I wonder if if the artist is well known. I wonder if there's any kind of like a, a foundation or a local arts organization that does any work with that artist's former output that you could get in touch with and describe your problem to them. Interesting. Because if there's, yeah, if there's any sort of like remembrance fund or anybody who's like the executor of their estate, they they may very well know like people who specialize in art preservation and would know either we have a way of taking it off the wall or we can't do that. But we can come in and take professional photographs so that there's some um, representation of the piece before it's gone.
0: Right. I mean, my gut was like, if they, if they felt so connected to it. It feels my, there's like a part of me that's like, it was kind of on them to make sure that they preserved it in a way they felt comfortable with before selling the house. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. Because you sold the house now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I would imagine that they kind of knew that, which is why they just wrote a letter afterwards rather than saying like, if you buy the house, you have to keep it or sending a letter that was like, don't ever paint. It was just like, we hope you do.
0: Right. And it wasn't even, like, they made a like a specific ask. It just says, like, the tone makes us feel like they assume we'll keep it. Which is, right. like, yeah, that's tough. I mean, listen, if I'm being honest, if it were me, I would paint over it. I would not speak to this person again, in all likelihood, and I would move on without a five-armed, drooling cartoon person presiding over everything I ate. Yeah, But I understand that there are other ways to go about this. Yeah, I think the other alternative that I would throw
1: out would be try to get in touch with either a local art organization or anybody who might be running uh, the estate of this artist and let them know. Maybe even just like we're going to be painting over it. But if you would like to come and take photographs or, or etchings or anything like that or come and make a copy, you know, we'll make such and such a time and date available to you to do so. Uh, I, I think making it clear, like, we're going to do what we're going to do. Um, so it's not like making them think like, oh, maybe we can talk you out of it. But just like, here's what we're doing. But since this artist is is now deceased, we wanted to give you a chance to preserve some sort of record. And, and then I think, you know, whoever is directly involved with that person's work can do that. You don't have to get back in touch with the old owners. These are not people you necessarily are going to become close friends with. Um, and then paint over it with a clear conscience. Yeah. It's really sad that this person died in a tragic accident, but the people who lived in this house also made the decision to sell it, and they knew that that was a possibility. They have other work elsewhere. All things eventually become dust. You will be giving them an opportunity to take some records of it, so it's not like it's going to be lost to time right away. And I think that's a a pretty okay compromise.
0: Yeah, I think if you reach out to them and give them the option of, you know, preserving it via photograph, I think that allows you uh, paint over it and move on with a clear conscience yeah and you know if, if for whatever reason the owners
1: were really sad or really upset that would be a shame because they sounded like nice people and they cared about their friend but it's also just you. You, I think in that moment you just have to hold as true the fact that these are kind people who care about their friend and this is not their house anymore and you want to live in the house that you want to live in and both of those things can be true at the same time even if it doesn't make them happy
0: yes agreed yeah That's it. That's all I got. Would you take us into our next letter? Subject. It's just food. Dear Prudence, my spouse is more picky about food than I am. It is disappointing that there are foods I simply cannot cook if we're eating as a family, like eggplant, but some of his pickiness manifests itself in odd ways. For example, he doesn't like nuts mixed into banana bread or brownies, but will eat them if they are sprinkled on top. He doesn't like mushrooms as an ingredient, but likes them as a standalone side dish, and will only eat olives as long as the olives are whole and unsliced. There are other foods he doesn't, quote, like, but will, quote, tolerate. For me, with a singular and straightforward aversion to seafood as an exception, food is food, and I don't have many dislikes. This weekend, I made a pasta salad, and he said, Oh, you're putting artichokes in that? In a tone I didn't appreciate. I sort of snapped, and we argued about it. But... As he explained to me, it's not really that he minds artichoke hearts, it's just that he doesn't particularly like them. In the end, I asked if it's an ingredient that I don't use often, and he just feels kind of meh about it to keep it to himself. I do all the meal planning and cooking, mainly because I'm better at it and the primary caretaker of our two kids. We can't afford, in either time or money, to cook a lot of separate meals. I have a hard time keeping all these preferences straight and, frankly, get a a little annoyed at not only having to miss certain foods I like, but also having to make sure all of the ingredients they like are prepared correctly. makes pickiness hard to take seriously when it's just a matter of nuts being in or on a dessert. I respect that pickiness is real and try to be accommodating, but I also wish my spouse would grow up. I'm worried they're setting a bad example with our kids as well. What? What can I do to reasonably compromise on their desires while keeping meals normal?
1: So, absolutely.
0: I think there are ways for people
1: to be real jerks about somebody else's pickiness. That's not this situation, I think. This, this letter writer is not being like, you know, if you don't eat X number of different types of food, you're not a citizen of the world, you're not sophisticated, you're awful. Like, the growing up stuff is clearly about the, like, Unbelievable number of demands that rest on just like, oh, I don't know, I prefer olive sliced um, when the letter writer's already doing tons of work and the letter writer's spouse is doing
0: none. Yeah. I My first reaction reading this was it sounds like this is a great time for your spouse to learn cooking and get better at meal planning and cooking mm-hmm. because if you are going to be the person who is going to be the uh you know spike in the wheel uh it's got it, it then you get to do more of it because you are the one who has these sometimes what feels I imagine to this letter writer as arbitrary objections to the food that they are making while taking care of their two kids so mm-hmm. I think it's time to uh get to scrolling get some uh in food inspiration from this spouse and uh work on it sir
1: Also, is there anything more soul-deadening than framing something as, oh, are you lists the thing that you're doing? Mm -hmm.
0: The thing that you can clearly see me doing. Like,
1: oh, you're putting artichoke hearts in there? Like, clearly you know I'm doing that. You see the artichoke hearts in my hand. So that's not what you're trying to say. You're trying to say something else. Fucking say whatever it is. Like, either say, oh, I notice you're putting artichoke hearts in that. Let me make a different one that doesn't have artichoke hearts. Or say nothing. Like, of course you snapped at that. I wouldn't appreciate that either. And I'd also like to stop and go take a look at that line. I do all the meal planning and cooking mainly because I'm better at it and the primary caretaker of our two kids.
0: That was when my like vision started to blur a little bit in irritation. The The whole better at it thing is such a
1: nonsense myth that is designed to perpetuate like unequal household division often along super sexist lines. And this idea, like my, my read here is that this is a woman married to a man. I, I know that the the spouse in question is a husband. And I, I think this, the letter writer would have mentioned if they were both guys, because that usually does come up if there's something that, that has to do with like traditionally sexist ideas. So I feel comfortable moving ahead with that one. The whole thing of like, oh, you're better at it. And it's like, well, how did she get better at it? Is, is it because women are naturally and magically and inherently just like deeply attuned to making artichoke casserole? Or is it because you don't do your share and her options are either let the kids go without something or pick up your slack?
0: Right. And that's why, you know, my first reaction was it's time for the spouse to learn how to cook because that's how you get better at it is doing more of it. And that's also how you get to control what ingredients go into it.
1: If you can learn how to drive a car, if you can learn how to do your job professionally, um, if you can learn how to pay your bills and balance your checkbooks, you can probably learn to cook. You might not be an incredible cook. And of course, like various people might have certain like physical limitations when it comes to cooking, but it's a skill. It's a task. You might not ever be, you know, Gabrielle Hamilton, but you'll be able to assemble a casserole. You'll be able to put together some pasta salad. You'll be able to make a vegetable.
0: You'll be able to put together the banana bread that you sprinkle nuts on top of.
1: Absolutely. Of course you're annoyed. I think the rules that you've tried to set previously have been very reasonable. And I think you 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 can you can amp them up, which is like, Essentially, I will do my best to make sure that the foods that you can't eat don't make it onto the menu. Beyond that, if you have a complaint about something that I'm cooking for you, which I do every day, you need to either ask yourself, am I willing to make this myself or or, or, or say nothing? Like those are your options.
0: Right. Those are your only options, really. Yeah. So.
1: This whole thing where like your husband treats you like kind of like a a, friger- a refrigerator that's malfunctioning half the time. Needs to stop. Right. <laughs> yes. Right? Like, he's genuinely being like, fridge isn't working. It put artichoke hearts in my food.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's not that I hate artichoke hearts. It's just I don't particularly like them. It's just like, you're talking to the mother of your children,
1: who every day makes three meals for your kids and for you.
0: Every day. No, the matter that I'm getting, like, the matter, the more we talk about it, the matter I'm getting.
1: <laughs> yeah, like... And then to do all that and like, well, it's not that it even really bothers me. It's just that like it could go from a B plus to an A plus. And it's like you're you're micromanaging and nitpicking over all these little things that you're not even saying are like, I have a huge food aversion here. I'm allergic. The texture is so upsetting to me that I can't eat it. Like those things are real and they matter. I'm not at all saying that like the only good people are people who will eat anything
0: and everything. Right. And it doesn't even sound like the letter writer saying that. No. It sounds like she's being quite accommodating. And yet, how funny that that
1: incredible accommodating, bending over backwards behavior doesn't result in a ton of gratitude and appreciation from the person she's doing it for. Isn't that weird? It's baffling.
0: Never heard of anything like it.
1: Yeah. Um, You have my permission to be 10 times angrier about this than you are. Um, You have my permission to, frankly, like, stop cooking for your husband and just say, like, you know what? It seems like you have a lot to figure out in terms of what you like and what you don't like, and I'm kind of tired of guessing wrong. So I'm going to make meals for me and the kids. If you would like to make something else, you are so welcome to it. If you would like to learn more about cooking, might I recommend any cookbook ever or the internet?
0: <laughs> right. There's been a lot of wisdom, whole bunch of wisdom on this
1: subject. So. Yeah, because of course I assume his next move would be, I don't know how to cook. You'd have to teach me. No. The world could teach him. I
0: certainly would not, sir. Certainly would not.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You send him. You send him back to us. You send him to us. We want to talk to him.
0: We just want to talk. Yeah, we'll take care of Yeah, him. What's his app? Just want to talk.
1: Okay. Last question. What a what a day it's been, and we're just going to end with uh, whether or not this last person's a peeping tom. They just want a ruling.
0: I love that. I love that so, a simple ruling.
1: Here. Simple ruling. Subject: Am I a peeping tom? Dear Prudence. I've always thought the boy living directly across the street from me is cute. I'm in San Francisco, and people in my neighborhood often open their windows and curtains. My neighbor had a boyfriend for a while. I'd sometimes see them kiss or cuddle and admired their rapport, but the boyfriend vanished about six months ago. Now that I'm telecommuting, I see this cute neighbor multiple times a day. He's often shirtless and works out by the window. The sunset illumines his apartment, while the sunrise illumines mine. Poetic! I found myself watching him when he's changing, reading, hanging out, etc. But I can't bring myself to wave when we both seem to be idly looking out the window at the same time. Of course I'm looking at him, but is he looking at me? How do I break the ice? I haven't had sex since the lockdown, and although I'm not seeking it, this spectral Adonis is firing up
0: my imagination. Help! I love this letter. Speaking of, you know, going whimsically YA novel, this is... This is definitely
1: like the gay new adult novel. This is that.
0: You know. I I think you can probably
1: assume, given that he, like, looks into your window sometimes and he works out right next to his window, which he leaves open, like, he's not upset at the idea of you looking at him, right? Like, I I think we can read that.
0: Like, if you leave your windows and curtains open, then you are than, you know, kind of implicitly allowing people to look at you. Like, that's what happens. That's what windows and curtains do. Right, and I don't want to... So to leave them open.
1: Yeah, and and that could mean a couple different things, right? That could mean, like, I don't care if somebody's looking in. Or that could mean I kind of would maybe find it exciting. So I don't want to assume, like, that means he loves it and he welcomes it and you should, like, try to hook up with him once stay-at-home orders listen. I just mean, like... He's not doing it accidentally. It's not like he thought he put the blinds down, but he messed it up. It's not like he thinks that the windows can't be seen through, and they are. Like, you know, you don't have to feel terrible, I think, that you think he's cute. And you're not drilling a hole into his bathroom wall to spy on him in the shower.
0: Yeah, I don't think you're doing anything, into, like, outlandish or even that peeping Tom. You're, you're noticing that a cute boy who lives across the street from you, who has his windows and curtains open fairly regularly, is... cute taking up space in those, cute, cutely in those windows. Yeah. And so you you, you don't have to
1: wave. If what you just want is, as long as he's your neighbor, when the sun's shining through his window and he's like holding a plank beautifully, you just want to stare at the bead of sweat that forms on his upper lip. By God, go for it. That sounds wonderful.
0: Yeah. If you want to keep him a spectral Adonis, keep him a spectral Adonis. Right. Yeah. You're
1: not like, you're not doing anything that makes him uncomfortable. You're not following him around. You're not, Trying to again drill a hole in his bathroom, like what he's doing, he what, what you're doing, he can see. So, exactly, conscience-wise, I think you're fine. Um, if he were looking uncomfortable or closing his windows, I would say, you know, knock it off. But that's not what's happening. If you
0: were going out of your way to like look in between his curtains, if his curtains were closed, yeah, yeah, that would be something to knock off. But this seems pretty much part of living in a cramped. San Francisco city area mm-hmm. and having cute neighbors. Yeah. So, which, you know what? God bless. God bless.
1: Yeah. You don't have to wave. If you can never work up the courage, that's fine. It doesn't seem like you two were necessarily ever going to like make plans to meet up after all this is over. But, you know, you can just enjoy the fact that you have a good looking neighbor. If someday you decide, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to wave today. Go for it. Maybe he'll see you and wave back. Maybe he won't. If he doesn't wave back, you know, It doesn't necessarily mean that he hates you. He might just not have seen. And then, I don't know, maybe you get the version where you two get to put up cute signs in your window and, like, you fall in love. But I think that's unlikely. I think it's more likely that he'll just be this hot neighbor you had for a while and you enjoyed watching do push-ups sometimes.
0: Yeah, I think—and I think that's quite a gift, so—